Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 6 of Coffee with the Johns. Woo! So, we are back. We're back at it again. A lot of things to cover. Um, One of the biggest topics we're going to hit on today is going to be the $15 minimum wage federal enforcement that they're trying to push through. Federal enforcement. <laughs> well, isn't it? Federal enforcement? Federal minimum wage. Yes, whatever. Um, and how that is going to destroy the economy. And also, we have a lot of real estate news, a lot for San Antonio, um, a, a lot of, you know, actual good news. There's some really cool things happening. There's some really good news about San Antonio, all the things that are coming down the line. So if you're an investor, if you're an investor even in the Texas real estate market, uh, you definitely want to stick around, listen to this, listen to everything, and like always, just share. I mean, you know, if you're finding the information valuable and you think it's, uh, you know, other people should be listening to it so we all become educated and we can better dictate the policies well, that come a cool down the line. button at the very bottom. It literally just says share. It's, it, it, it's very simple. And if you're there. listening on podcasts later, just make sure to come back into YouTube and hit that little like button. That like, it's amazing how much it helps us and supports us and everything that we're doing with this. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I'd like to welcome Mr. John Barr. That's the longest intro to introduce the person just sitting here. It's like, oh, there's this random guy in the corner. Oh, now I'll bring him in. Well, it's coffee with a John, so it's not that random. You're the other John. Um, and I'm your host, John Barbera. So this is February 12th uh, edition of Coffee with the Johns. And it was, it's been an interesting week. It's been some interesting news coming down the line. But before we get into all that. Happy belated birthday. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. There thank you, you for the, the little uh, te- best gift yet has been from Texas. Uh, I don't know if everybody's heard, but we're having um, a bit of a breeze coming through Texas. And people are freaking the hell out with this breeze. Are they? Yes. Uh, Val went to AGB on Wednesday. It was packed. People were just like hoarding like you know, everything's going to go out of style. All the bread and water's gone again. It's insane. Like, really? And it is going to get cold, right? I, I was seeing the temperature for Monday. It was or like they were saying like nine degrees is going to be the low. Yeah, so it keeps dropping. Yeah. For, it was like 39 then it became 29. Yeah. Now it's like mid to low 20s. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen it that cold here. Like I've seen it get into the like the high 20s. Yeah. But I've never seen it get down to the teens for a low. I was like. Oh, if anybody's Ooh. been in Texas uh, longer than eight years, you? Yeah. Eight years about? Um, let us know. Has it ever been this cold? So, Molly, thank you very much for the birthday wishes. But yes, Texas, by far, best birthday gift. Give me a nice cold weekend. I'm just going to enjoy thing about the Texas. hell out of this. We have winter for one week, and then we have beautiful weather the rest of the year. Yeah, we had summer on Monday, and we have winter in the summer. weekend. It was like 70 degrees, 70 degrees no, is not summer. I was, I was oh about to go God. swimming Monday. Uh, oh. Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. What do you think of the Super Bowl, man? I've, I feel bad for Patrick Mahomes because that dude was playing his 
ass off. You can't say Patrick Mahomes is the reason that Chiefs lost that Super Bowl. Some of the stuff he was pulling off, I just remember one, he like breaks like or avoids like three tackles, sprinting to the sideline, falling down out of bounds, and just sidearms this like 40-yard long ball yeah. right to his receiver at the one-yard line, doink, right off his face. <laughs> this is one of those scenes I wanted to like have a little <clears throat> a little playback and you hear yeah. this doink sound as he hits it because it happened multiple times to him. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Like I don't know. It just... He's a, he's a hell of a player, and just nobody else showed up. But I, don't, I didn't even realize, like, apparently they lost, like, two of, like, their starting tackles, and then the, one of their guards shifted over to fill in that spot, so the three of their offensive linemen weren't there or where they were supposed to be. So so, so a lot of uh, wah, 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 blah, blah. You got your ass whooped. Brady, the GOAT, like always, comes through and takes another Super Bowl. And I know this is going to piss off so many people, but you just can't hate on the guy. The guy went oh, to a whole new team, you know. Uh, which, brought people I mean, out of retirement. Brought, brought people out of retirement and kind of is rebuilding the Patriots under the Buccaneer name because he's bringing more people. I'm so, I'll be, I wouldn't be shocked if Belichick was actually coaching behind the scenes. Has he brought anybody else back besides Gronk? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know I, honestly, saying. I have not paid attention to the NFL season this year. I did not care about football anymore or sports in general i used to watch a lot of soccer it stopped um but that being said i mean you know it's impressive you got to give the guy oh, it really is like I, I really i mean i was i'm not a big football nfl person but i was like you know i was born in kansas City, missouri so i was like yeah, i'm close enough i'll go ahead and root for him this time yeah um but it was just like man i'm close I'm, enough close enough well uh, we have a uh, molly says it was uneventful uh i would expect that from a hating raiders fan so wow <laughs> but uh what'd you think of the halftime show usually that's the biggest talk about every super bowl the usually the halftime show is always trash like you have two extremes what were your thoughts on the halftime show uneventful really you didn't like it i i, I just like i don't know i mean one thing I, I found is like i didn't realize they didn't get paid for the halftime show and then that's they the performer yeah they don't get paid to do the halftime show and he actually in spent an extra seven million dollars to make the show what he wanted so for what marketing i mean i yeah. could see like yeah how many millions of people are watching the Super Well, exactly Bowl? well before this like i had no clue who the weekend was oh and me neither i, I didn't and know i'm like who's this guy like yeah. the weekend what kind of name is that like yeah. now i know who he is and now like i've seen some of his songs and stuff i'm like oh that's the guy from the super bowl but uh i it I don't know. I just kind of wasn't impressed. I mean, that one scene where he ran backwards, all the lights were spinning in circles. I'm like, oh, wait, he was in that like mirror room or something. Yeah. yeah, that actually made me nauseous. Yeah, yeah I didn't know who the weekend was. Um, I, I didn't. I, after I heard his songs, I was like, oh, that's who sings it. You know, apparently he doesn't sing during the week. Um, but, you know, interesting, interesting performance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, a, there's your total dad joke right there. Hey, why are you hating on my dad jokes? But Your yeah, interesting through. performance. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that they didn't get paid. But it makes sense. I mean, you're, well, the marketing to, yeah. that you get and everything. I'd be curious now that you say that to do some research on how was his relevancy and his. Let's say, uh, do they still sell records? I mean, what what gets sold now? Is it like downloads, MP3 downloads, whatever that metric is? How was it before and now after the Super Bowl that people yeah. found out, like us, that he existed? Not that I'm listening to his music anyway, but, you know, now that people know that he exists and who he is, 
how did that bump help him if that made sense for the investment that he made? Because that's very interesting. That's, that's a good question. Because, uh, I mean, really, they say, like, oh, he's spending extra money. He's like, well, he kind of invested in, in it because he want, he he's obviously given a budget by the NFL, and then he spent an extra $7 bucks to make it what he wanted but it to be. But what's the budget? Is it, like, oh, some I'm, stupid low budget? I have no idea. But uh, I can only imagine that stage that he had to build up there, then, it, like, everything I, he had to build with the, the mirrors and the lights and that's stuff. That's what like, I found impressing. I think the the actual performance itself, like, the backgrounds, all the stuff, I thought those that was really cool. Like, yeah. I saw all that stuff, and it wasn't, like, your typical, you know, that you see just a stage and a bunch of people dancing or whatever. Like, I think all the stuff that they did was actually pretty cool, very creative. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed I like it. Who, um, who did one a while back? Who does that song that's got like a heartbeat? Um, was it? I don't know. I don't know. Molly says that you sing his songs all the time in the car. So it, don't try to act like you don't know who the guy is now. He just, just blew because your I sing spot. It, just because I sing his songs doesn't mean I know who he is. I know no. his work. Now I can relate the two mm -hmm. together. But I had no idea who. Giddy little schoolgirl. Anyway. Wow. So that was the Super Bowl. Hope uh, if you guys watched it, you enjoyed it. Um, oh, I think it was you that told me the streaker that came out to the field. Didn't he oh. make a place a bet uh, that oh, he would do man, it? What, what was, was it? That? Yeah, he. It was a picture I saw on like Instagram or something yeah. like that. And uh, he's like, I met the streaker who brushed the football, and apparently before the game started, he made a fifty or a five thousand dollar bet that there was going to be a streaker at like plus 700 odds or something like that yeah and so he made the bet and since he was the streaker it cost him a thousand dollars to get out of jail and he wound up pocketing like 350 grand on making the his cost own better thousand dollars to get, out of, jail. get out of jail but then collected 350 grand it's like yeah. i don't know if that's, that's true not, return on your because money. it's also one of those things it's like i feel like you shouldn't be able to do that but i was like hey there's dumb enough people to make all kinds of bets in this world well i mean it's so. betting i don't know if there's a um like a legal, you know, I don't know if he did it like in a legal type of bet or if he oh, did it yeah. where it's like, like well, go cry to your mother now, like it worked. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, man, that's a, look, mom, watch this. I'm going to make a bunch of money. Like there's your, oh, yeah. there's your entrepreneur right there. Yeah. His mom should definitely be proud of him. <laughs> I wish they'd actually show him like running around the field. I think it'd be funny. You want to watch him get like, well, to get like, yeah. because I usually get like smacked. Like some dude, like he's running around looking backwards and a big old security guard comes out of nowhere just boom lays him out it's like that's the part like i'd want to see or just i'm just like juking out these like big old fat security guards that are trying to chase oh, they, ne like, they never show those things even in soccer they do that a lot where people come off the stadium and they like just run try to hug one of the players and what they do is they move the cameras away because yeah. they don't want to give them publicity the publicity i'm like okay yeah that's, um, that's half the fun come on exactly but Entertainment. let's talk about, you know, betting and gambling and all of that. So I would think like, let's get into uh, Tesla purchasing $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. Um, for those of you that don't know, Tesla just announced that they bought $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. I mean, my thing when I read this is... I think that Musk is realizing his influence on the market and everything, and he's having fun because the shit that he's doing and everything and the reason Bitcoin is going up, like, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it just, it looks like manipulation in a way. It, you know, he bought 1.5 million, billion, billion with a B, yeah. shit ton of Bitcoin. 
Um, and it says the company said it purchased the Bitcoin for more flexibility to further diversify and maximize returns on our cash. See, that's, so that's the fact that they said it that way, the return on our cash. So he's making a bet that it's actually like the return. Like it shouldn't be return. It's, it's, it's like gold or something like that. You do it as a hedge against inflation, something, but are trying right. to say like, hey, I'm going to buy this stuff and I'm going to create a return on it by saying we bought this money. And then what did it do? It went up like 3,000 bucks in, in an instant when they made that purchase. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, you talk about the return on our cash. That's exactly what they're doing. They are... This is this is an investment. This is not like people say it's a currency, but it's not being treated as a currency. It's yeah. being treated as a speculative investment. Yeah, you understand. So, and I think Musk definitely knows this because he went ahead. Then he go ahead and put hashtag Bitcoin or some shit on his profile on Twitter. Like he's propping it up, and he knows that he comes out and says, you know, oh, what what was it? The douche coin, dodge coin or something, dog coin or. Yeah, whatever that one is, right? That one, he comes out and he says, you know... It's got potential. Douche coin to the moon, he quoted, right? And all of a sudden, everybody jumps into the, that cryptocurrency. Even the founder has said, like, yeah, this shit isn't worth that much. You know what I mean? Like, it's purely speculative. Oh, I mean, it's, I mean like it's got no, no formal backing, no anything. I mean, at least Bitcoin has a lot more time in the market it has a lot more things going for it to prove that it could compete as a currency but all these other cryptos that are coming out i mean we don't even know the security level of them yeah right so it's like i don't know uh, it just feels manipulative to me um everything feels manipulated to you but you don't agree though i mean you, you what do you oh, think on which part on like do you think uh musk is playing the market like that oh i think he is for sure because like he what was it the the four twenties taking them pub or Tesla private found the money it goes up SEC comes in slaps him on the wrist and like he has so much money and so much power now that it like man the market does what it wants like I almost and he shows that he's willing to say whatever he wants yeah and just like well come after me I don't care you slap me with a well, fine that, okay so the, that's the next line right in this article so the SEC uh, the SEC just does not have a record of success against Elon Musk. No, they don't. So I expect any effort in that direction to go, it, to go, it would just be dead and uh, dead end, basically. Wow. Wow, you so, really had struggle. No, with yeah. Well, some of these articles, when you start reading them, you realize the misspelling. I'm like, do you guys not have Grammarly or something? Like, I look at it and like multiple, man, some of the things I was like, you know, and I'm an English major, so, you know, obviously I'm very picky <laughs> with all grammar. But but that was uh, Mohammed El Arian, Chief Economic economic Advisor for Aliens. Oh, they're... Uh, <laughs> Aliens? Aliens? Lorenzo Martinez says it's almost the same as a streaker betting on himself. Like, it really <laughs> is. Like, I'm going to go buy all this Bitcoin, then I'm going to make a hashtag Bitcoin, and I'm going to say I bought a bunch, yeah. and... God, I mean, if you just, I don't know what return, I mean, say 10%. So he so, made $150 million in one, basically oh yeah. five minutes by saying they bought. So it says, what did, uh, so Mohammed, he puts as the, he's a chief economic advisor. Uh, he says, what did Tesla tell you? Two things. One is that this will be a form of payment. And two is that this is an investment vehicle. 
So those are two powerful endorsements for the notion. I want to stress the notion that Bitcoins are a currency, a money, because after all, money is a store of value. Money is a form of payment. So yes, that will build further momentum as the reaction as to the reaction, it's going to be all over the place. Some will see it as visionary. Others will say, wait a minute, if I want to invest in Bitcoin, I'll do it directly. I don't need Tesla to do it for me. So you're going to see whole range of reactions, but Bitcoin holders for Monday, it's good news because Bitcoin, you know, was trading at like 34. And now I think it's 40 something. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't know. I'm not against Bitcoin at all. We've talked about it before. I'm not against Bitcoin. Uh, I do see the intentions for it, but the price of Bitcoin and why it's going up is not for what Bitcoin, the purpose a lot of big investors say to invest in Bitcoin. They say, again, you know, it's a currency, it's a store of value, all of this, but people are not buying it because of that. They're buying it purely for speculation. Well, they're they buying can, it because it's money hot. off of it. Yeah, they're buying it so they can buy it and sell it later to make more money on it. But that's also kind of like how it gets started. It's like yeah. more and more and more pi people pile into it. More and more, they're now st are able to get debt against Bitcoin. So that and that's going to create it to be a much more stable form of value and currency later on. To where it's like, hey, it's going to be kind of like gold, where you can trade it, you can cash it in, and it doesn't have these wild swings of ten, twenty percent. And so day. then my next point is like what's real anymore because if all you need is to have a level of influence and you can essentially prop up whatever you want if you have enough influence if you have enough eyeballs on you enough credibility right on you you i mean there's no limit to what you can do at that point like i wonder can can the sec or the government regulate this in any way should they regulate this in any way what does this look like when, if you are an influential person like Elon Musk is, and you just say, you know what, guys, we need more money. Why don't we buy this piece of shit investment over here that's pennies? We'll put a couple million in it. Then I'll go on Twitter and say, you know, man, I see a huge opportunity in this thing because, you know, the founder has, you know, blue eyes or whatever the fuck they feel like using for an excuse. Wow. Oh, I, I marked on this that it's explicit, so people with sensitive ears. And there's a warning before we went live, so if you know if you didn't hear the warning, uh, that's not my fault. Anyway, what does that mean? Like, what's real anymore? What you know? It's a very are we going world. on fundamentals anymore? Like, well, it's like they always say, like we're in uncharted waters, and like we've never been here before, and yeah. What is real? So to piggyback on that, then we also have uh, MasterCard, I, I heard. I read, uh, I, mean, I didn't put the article because it was like literally like two lines worth of value. Yeah. But the headline did it all. Yeah, but pretty much because uh, a few months back or a month or so ago, we had talked about, who was it? American Express. They're starting to do, uh, no, was it American? or v I don't know who it was that they were going to, they're starting to do cash back on your credit card in bitcoin yeah bitcoin rewards cards exactly so they're already starting to do it now mastercard is jumping into that too well i mean that's like is like everyone always makes fun of it. it's like oh it's not real it's not real but it's like but the market is making it real 
And as I said, the more people start using it, the more, like I walked into a gas station just yesterday and noticed that like Bitcoin ATM inside. Like, really? Yeah. I was like, that's very interesting. I didn't go find it because it was a rough a part Bitcoin of town. Bitcoin ATM. It was in a rough part of town. Yeah. It was, it was in the, yeah. yeah, it was in a part of San Antonio that is like, eh, I don't want to hey, be down here uncomfortable. But, uh, it's type with the bars on all the windows, uh, but it said like a Bitcoin ATM and says like, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, the longer it's around, the more people hear, the more people hear about it. Like eventually, yes, it is going to be a legitimized, I won't say currency, but it's a legitimized product. Yeah. I mean, it, but we go back to the same thing. Like, you know, I think the issue that I'm having with it is that we look at investments, right? What is the actual, what's the value of the investment? What's the fundamentals of the investment? And Bitcoin being propped up as much as it is. And I was listening to, um, uh, who was it? I want to say it was uh, Bet David. I'm not sure. But they were saying like, a lot of people are talking about Bitcoin at 100 grand. And they're like, no, Bitcoin is going to go well over 100 grand. Yeah. Like the, the steam that's behind this, and now you have well, so it's up to forty-seven thousand right now. Forty-seven thousand. So when you talk about you know, when we talk about the trends that we're always talking about, what trends are coming up? Well, when you see, you know, whatever what was it, Visa? I don't remember the rewards cards. They're now giving you rewards point for uh, cash back through Bitcoin. Now you have Mastercard Inc. Uh, getting into the Bitcoin space. Uh, people are able to buy. With their credit cards, Bitcoin, and they're able to convert their Bitcoin to currency and all this shit. They're getting into that. You have uh, Elon Musk, you know, buying $1.5 billion in Bitcoin, talking about they're going to be transacting in Bitcoin and accepting all that. So when you talk about a trend developing, I mean, that's, you know, there, there's way too much backing. And now I yeah. even, what was it? I, I want to say it was a few uh, episodes ago with Coffee with the Johns where... Biden's one of his uh, advisors that he brought on is a, you know, a, a professor, or some There's shit a about former professor crypto. at like Harvard or Yale or something like that. And, and the oh, SEC, MIT. head of the SEC, head of the yeah, yeah, MIT, yeah, MIT. Was, was he taught cryptocurrencies now the head of the SEC. Exactly. Uh, like, so when you look at all these things, it's like, well, it seems whether it's real or it's valuable or not, it's going to become it because when enough people, you know, and what gives currency value is faith in it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if people have faith in it, it will become currency, you know. So uh, my thing is. Um, do you watch the movie uh, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps or something like that? The second part with Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Yes, Shia LaBeouf? I have seen it. It's been yeah, a long time Shia since LaBeouf. I've seen it. But yeah. So in the movie, they talk about uh, Tulip Mania. And, oh, yeah. And I really I really love that example. So it was uh, for those of you that haven't seen it or haven't heard about it. Tulip mania was pretty much happened, I don't know, in like the 1800s or some shit, where people were investing in tulips because it was so rare. It was, to them, it was so beautiful and all this. And it exploded. It was through the roof. People were just, I mean, leveraging everything to buy tulips and everything until they realized you can grow tulip like weeds. <laughs> Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just as it went up, it just fucking tanked, right? But during that period of time, there's a lot of faith behind Tulip. There was a lot of trading being done. Governments were involved in Tulips. I mean, it, it was, was huge. 16, 1636 is when it happened. So when you look at that, it's like, is Bitcoin the next Tulip mania? I don't know. I don't, I, yeah, I have no idea. Because I mean, you had the same thing in the, what was it, the 90s, the Beanie Babies? 
Oh, that's right. Those yeah. Beanie Babies. My God, people were going crazy for those. Oh, yeah. I remember the, the, the conventions that they would have with them and everything, the rare ones. And, like, I don't even know, like, how did they manage to create that kind of buzz around these little stuffed animals? Yeah. Especially stuffed animals that can be made over and over and over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Limit, it's not limit, like... I guess you just limit the supply of them and then that, they created a craze. I don't know. It's just nuts. But, uh, yeah, Bitcoin, yeah. I, I have no idea. So, so now the the next article that I wanted to cover, kind of going on this trend of the Bitcoin and everything, is you have uh, if you guys seen the movie The Big Short, they also came out with a, a great the book was to me better than the movie, uh, The Big Short is investor Michael Burry. He was uh, I believe he was the one that was played by um, uh, who's the guy that does Batman? What's his name? Christian Bale. Thank you, Dre. So he was played by Christian Bale, I believe. And so he's saying that Tesla's $1.5 billion bet on Bitcoin was a distraction. And Dogecoin, Doge, Dogecoins, yeah. record price signals a massive bubble. So this is from the guy that he, he made a fortune during that crash, the financial market. So Chinese regulators summoned Tesla on quality issues as consumers complain about quality, but Tesla bought Bitcoin. The Silicon Asset manage, uh, Management boss tweeted, using the tickers Tesla and Bitcoin. In my mind's eye, so much digital confetti. Burry thinks Tesla may have uh, timed its $1.5 billion purchase of Bitcoin to distract from its China troubles. So uh. if, if that's true, I, which is true in the sense that if they're really having trouble, they succeeded because nobody knows about it. <laughs> oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. So exactly. We all know that they bought $1.5 billion in Bitcoin because it's such a drastic thing that yeah. they did. But I didn't know that they were having issues in China. So that's very interesting. And he tweeted, uh, Tesla and Bitcoin correlation coefficient is 0.95, blah, 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 over the last six months, Burry said. And then he tweeted, Elon Musk, going to, perf going to perfect unity. Nah, Elon dreams the impossible. He is determined to break unity correlation greater than one. And he has a history on his side. Tesla and Bitcoin investors can make anything happen. So he's pretty much saying like, as Bitcoin goes up, Tesla goes up as well. Like they're trading like pretty much neck and neck. Um, we are in a blow off top in all things, Barry continued, referring to a chart pattern that shows a steep increase in an assets price and trading volume, followed by a rapid price decline. Markets have now bubbled over in dangerous ways. Uh, Barry hinted in yet another tweet. Man, these people in their Twitters. When the leave breaks, so he says a, le a Led Zeppelin song, huh? Le levy. Levy? The levy breaks. With the levy breaks? I'd never seen the word before. Okay, when the levy breaks, I guess that might make more sense. A Led Zeppelin song and said, this time we'll play it at the beginning, not at the end. So don't know what the hell that meant. Hopefully anybody that knows Led Zeppelin maybe knows. But... You know, he's he's the one that predicted and was calling out the the mortgage crisis. He's the one that bet, you know, started the um, shorting the mortgage-backed securities. He even started that whole crazy. Well, it's also one that. of the things, though. It's like he was drastically right 
one time and he's known for the short where you yeah. hear these stories all the time of like big hedge fund managers investment bankers all this stuff they they got hot they, they called something right and then the media follows them forever but then like they, they never quite do anything ever again so it's like is he right is he wrong time will tell but it sure is you kind of look at these asset prices they talk about and uh it's like yeah there it can't continue to go up three tens 700 or tesla 700 percent. you look at the stock market going up like 0.1 to 0.3 to 1% every single day and never like coming down. Like at some point they can't continue to rise, but they keep throwing and throwing and throwing more money into the economy. The money's got to go somewhere. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, to, to your point, there was also in the article, it said how he had shorted Tesla back in December of uh, 2019. And he obviously, that shit. Oh, it was uh, in 2019. 20, yeah. 2019, I think. And, um, he obviously didn't, you know, that didn't pay, play out very well for him because that's life went through the roof. So, I don't know. Everything just seems very speculative. You know, it, it just seems to be like the, um, uh, oh, GameStop, last I saw was trading at like 30-something or, or around there. Yeah. So, it went from like 400, went all the way back down. So, it, it's just something that I think it's a very dangerous time for a lot of people. A lot of people with their stimmy checks are getting into the stock market just following the trends. And I think it's a, it's a dangerous play. But, you know, it works out for some. And if you're, if you're saying to yourself right now, holy crap, this is some good information. You know, I, this is stuff that I just, I didn't, I didn't even know was available. I'm learning some amazing strategies. Then all I ask from you is just, Shoot on over to an investor's journey on YouTube, find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. You know, I'll put the link in the description just so it's one click, like, and you're done. How much easier can that be, right? Just give me some support, show me some love. That's all I ask from you and I will keep putting out this amazing content. So show me some love and enjoy the rest of the show. Since we're talking about Elon and his speculation and what he does to markets he uh just called out austin he predicts that on that article elon musk predicts austin texas will be the biggest boom town that america has seen in 50 years and he's quoted saying it's going to be the biggest boom town in 50 years at our last 50 years at least the ceo said tesla chose austin as the spot for the car makers next u.s plant because austin is a bit like mini california Tesla will now move its HQ and future programs to Texas and Nevada immediately, he tweeted in May during a disagreement with local officials. But the billionaire said the wave of West Coasters moving to Austin should take care not to change the city too much. I don't think we need to make sure... When he says, I think we need to make sure that people who move here from California don't inadvertently recreate the issues that caused them to move in the first place. Mm. And that's, I mean... It's good to see that he realizes that and he says it because it yeah. seems like a lot of people follow everything he says and just mimic what he does and makes bets following what he is innovative yeah. ways. Um, but I don't know. And I agree. It's just like, yeah, you can't turn it into. And that's what a lot of people that have been in Texas fear that, hey, you're bringing California, California ways to Texas and making Texas like California. So it's. Uh, oh, I mean, what's that saying? Don't uh, California my Texas. Yeah. You know, so, and I don't know, I mean, even touching on that point a little bit, you know, we've been hearing about they're trying to push Newsom out of California. Yeah. So even now people are starting to realize that in California, they're starting to realize that 
hey, you know, this shit is not good. Like the, the stuff that you're doing is starting to really hurt. And yes, you may be a Democrat or whatever, but like you're making really bad policy decisions, you know, and people are leaving for a reason. And I think it might, I don't know, I, I'm trying to be a little more hopeful as to. Well, I mean, I think it has hit a threshold of like 1.5 million people to get them on a recall uh, ballot. And they're at like 1.4, something yeah. like that. But then you have like the Biden administration coming out and backing Newsom saying like, oh, no, 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 we got to leave him in place. It's like, okay, yeah, he helped get you elected. Now you got to back him up. But the, I, I do like to see that people are rising up with their votes and they're saying like, we aren't happy with what things are being run, yeah. how things are being run. And we're now taking a stand. So it's good to see. I mean, it's kind of like democracy at its finest. It's like, hey, something happened. They got it changed. And now they're realizing like, ooh, Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. We went a little too far, and now they're backing up and starting to say we, we want to reverse these decisions. And they are they have means to do that. And that's kind of what I, I hope for, right? With everything that we're seeing in politics, with everything that we're seeing um, that happened this past election, is that it, it it's a pendulum, right? It goes from one extreme to the next. So I'm hoping that right now all the shit that's being pushed, and we're going to talk about all the stimulus, all the stimulus packages and the... $15 minimum wage and all that crap and, and see like, you know, how bad all those things really are. And people maybe start waking up a little bit more and more and paying a little bit more attention and realizing like, ah, oh, this wasn't a good play. Well, it was you know? also something that bad David talked about in his podcast where he's like, I think people are starting to realize like, Hey, it's not the best idea to be like, whatever my party says I get behind and I go with. Yeah. It's like, I'm 100% left, 100% right. People are like, well, let me cross the line and I kind of see where things are at a little bit and let's have a discussion to see how we can move this forward. So I think you're seeing that right now uh, with the new administration in there. Like, they're, they're, I mean, one thing about the stimulus, because I saw an article that uh, Nancy Pelosi came out and said, we're going to have the new stimulus done by the time the old unemployment runs out. Right. I was like, isn't that in March? And like, sure, it's mid-March this comes out. I was like, so why are they having problems Putting shit in this, pushing this new stimulus through, when they control the whole thing, like shouldn't they be if they held party lines, be able to do whatever they want? But obviously, there's infighting within their party of like, yeah, we don't have the votes. They're just throwing this money, doing all this crazy stuff, the 1.9 trillion. Like they don't have any GOP support apparently, and they're even actually losing support inside of their yeah. their own party. And we're like, we couldn't get it through if we try to just ram it through. Because they have the means to do it during the budget reconciliation. Like, they only need 50 votes, and then they could have Kamala Harris break the tie. So, yeah, I, and I they think talked about that. Uh, even Bernie says, he's like, you don't need anything. You could just force that through. But, I mean, if Biden sticks to his guns, what he ran on prior to um, being elected was, it's not right to do that. You're yeah. going against our policies you're going against the way the government is done there's checks and balances for a reason you can't just ram things through but then you know they say that he's uh broken the record with the most executive orders of any president that he yeah. signed already so i mean uh, he's kind of like backpedaling on a lot of things so i don't well, know yeah there's I mean, a lot of things that i mean i think it's really it's like they democratic party yeah. hated trump and they rallied together, promised the moon and everything, every wish list thing they could ever think of to try to gain support. And they got it and they got Biden in. And now they're like, well, now we want our pound of flesh. You said you're going to do this. Now you need to come through. Yeah. But now they still have some moderate Democrats. They're like, uh-uh. 
uh, not where I come from do we want that. So I think they're going to have some problems of just like just drastically changing everything. And I think they're hiding it under a lot of that stuff under like the impeachment trial of Trump. Yeah. Like they're focusing on this. Like, oh, no, no, we're still working this on the side because they're trying to do backdoor deals. This is my speculation that they're like, hey, media, focus on this. Don't focus on the fact that we don't have our votes. Yeah. And to get well, what we said. I about. mean, I, I, you know, reading a lot of these articles and the things they're pushing through, they're pushing a lot of things through uh, in this current stimulus package they're pushing a lot of things through that don't really have to do much with the stimulus at all but they're using the package to push it through and i think that might be a lot of the issue and i remember trump did come out and say that was one of his biggest issues with the last stimulus that they were trying to push through it was like they're talking about you know aids to these foreign countries and doing a bunch of shit that has nothing to do with helping the american public or it's like that has no place in a stimulus package yeah. right but talking about the stimulus package, here's a, um, I wanted to jump into this story then. And it is Democrats propose tax credit of up to $3,600 per child in Joe Biden's COVID-19 relief plan. So, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a shit ton of money, uh, but they're doing this. The proposal released Monday evening by congressional Democrats could expand the child tax credit up to $3,600 for, uh, for children under six years old and $3,000 for children up to the age of 17. The credit will be split up into monthly payments to families from the federal government. The credit will start to phase out for couples earning $150 or individuals $75K a year. Under the current law, the child tax credit is two grand per child. And it's not distributed uh, distributed monthly. It's done pretty much when you file your taxes. Yeah, and it's a tax credit where they don't. Right. Yeah, it's not money, money to you. It's a it's a credit. So it's not like dollars for dollars that you'll get two dollars two thousand dollars back to you. Like now they're saying you're gonna get thirty six hundred dollars or three thousand dollars actual money sent to, to get you. Well, and it's closer, closer to that universal base income where like, they'd say, we're going to send you money every month. Like, oh, my God, here we go. So that, that's what we're going to get into. But let, let me finish the article so people are kind of caught up on it. Um, oh, crap. Hot keys. All right. Uh, so it says, it is unclear if legislation will be included in the final version of Biden's relief plan because of the procedure called reconciliation. I don't know what that means. Do you know what reconciliation means? Reconciliation? Yeah, what, what they refer to it here. They keep referring to it as reconciliation whenever they talk about well, something passing that's, that's, or not passing. Yeah, well, basically, in, in order to get something passed through the Senate, you have to have 60 votes, mm -hmm. 60, uh, 60 votes to get it. Well, they have 50. But you can do things to where, and this is how they got the tax plan done. This is how they got Obamacare done because it involves the federal budget. And under budget reconciliation, you only need 50, 51 votes to get something passed through as long as it's tied into the budget of the federal government. So that's why you couldn't change massive laws they have nothing to do with monetary aspects of the mm. country, but they can if they can tie it to taxes, that's how they got Obamacare through is because it was involved taxes and tax credits and stuff like that. So that's how they got it through. And that's how they got the last uh, Trump got his budget thing or the jobs and yeah. act and whatever it is, because it dealt with taxes in the federal budget. So reconciliation means like they're reconciling the federal budget or changing things around. So and you only need 50. It, or it allows the, majority. the Democrats to 
be able to pass the, these legislations easier um, through the Senate. All right, I gotcha. Um, so uh, now I understand because they keep saying reconciliation. I was like, I, I get what the word is, but what do they mean by that? Yeah. So that's why they keep, that's why that's the, the nuclear option of just like with if you vote yeah. party line, you get what you want. So now and so you have Pelosi saying that she predicts the House would pass the bill by the end of the month and that the Senate will pass it by mid-March. Uh, what's crazy is that you have Republican Senator Mitt Romney uh, from Utah introduce a plan last week to provide a $350 per child monthly uh, check, which equates to about $4,200 a year, cash benefit for families with children under six, and $250, which is about three grand a year, for children 17 and younger. So a Republican is proposing a bill that's even higher than what the Democrats are talking about. Some Democrats are pushing for legislation to make the tax credit permanent beyond the one year proposed in Biden's plan, a proposal costing about $117 billion, which, you know, they're probably way off on that. It's probably a lot more. Uh, Representative Richie Torres, a Democrat of New York, said... It would be transformative for districts like his with high poverty. It's hard to imagine a more powerful stimulus for our economy, a more powerful stabilizer for families than a permanently expanded child tax credit. Um, Plasky was noncommittal Monday. Yeah, non-committal Monday, when asked about permanently extending the credit, noting that the current proposal would provide only emergency funding, something that will help people get through this period. So let's talk about the, we have the tax credit, all these things that the, the stimulus that they're trying to push through. And I started actually doing a little bit of research on this. And right now, unemployment, is around 6%, 6.3% nationally. During the Great Recession, the 09 to you know, 2014 period, unemployment, let me see, because I do have an article on this. Yeah, here we go, because the Fed actually came out in this. So unemployment during that, the Great Recession and everything was above 6% all the way up until 2014, all right? No, was 2014? Yeah. Oh, wow. No stimulus was ever passed. That was unemployment. Foreclosures were a big issue, right? We, uh, a lot of people made, a, a, you know, especially investors and everything. Uh, we did very well with the foreclosure marketing, market it and everything during that time. Stimulus were nowhere to be seen. Nobody was given stimulus. Unemployment was high. Businesses went out of, you know, business, everything. What's so different now? Oh, I don't know, because then you also look at the amount of money that they have printed in like since the beginning of time. And they was it like saw some, how much money they printed. It was crazy. It's like one fifth of all U.S. money that's ever been printed. They did in 2020. Yeah. And now they're talking about doing another one point nine trillion into the economy. Just like, where is this money coming from? Why are we doing it? Like, like what? We know is where the, it's coming what from. What is the well, Yeah. What is the big picture here of why they're doing this it's like is it is there an underlying motive besides then they're just trying to hide it as like hey we're doing it to save the economy and all this other stuff because i agree it's like um unemployment isn't 
that high. It's like if it was like 25% or something crazy like that, but like 6%, what's normal unemployment? Four? Yeah. Like we're not talking a whole lot here of uh, percentage points to be able to pump that much money into the economy. I don't. Yeah. And I mean, in the last uh, um, market report that came out for unemployment, uh, unemployment recovery slows with pandemic uncertainty. Uh, this past month, like it, it only dropped 0.4%. So it's still like unemployment is kind of just hanging there. You know, it's not really going anywhere. And then I was reading an article that I'm trying to find right now with um, how the head of the chair, uh, the Fed. So, all right, here it is. So he talks about the Fed says unemployment is actually about 10% nearly double the official rate and matching the worst of the Great Recession. So his thing is we're actually a lot higher than the numbers actually state. He's saying that, you know, the economy was still nearly 10 million jobs below pre-pandemic levels and most of the pain has fallen on the lowest income workers. He indicates the labor market was in worse shape than previously thought. He said the U.S. had a long way to go before reaching full employment, a situation when everyone looking for a job is able to get one. Unemployment rate um, for the Bureau of Labor Statistics said doesn't take into account the millions of people who have left the labor force due to the pandemic and as well as those misclassified in federal data. Powell said adjusting the data to reflect those trends would likely push jobless rates much higher. Correcting this misclassification and counting those that have left the labor force since last February as unemployed would boost the unemployment rate close to 10% in January. It will require a society-wide commitment with contributions from across government and private sector. The potential benefit of investing in our nation's workforce are immense. Uh, Biden's proposal, though, $1,400 stimulus check, $400 federal unemployment benefit through September, a bigger child tax credit, and assistance to the state and local governments, among others. It also includes the $15 minimum wage, which would be phased in over several years. Republicans argue the move would cost jobs, and most Democrats say raising wages will benefit workers in the economy. A recent, a recent report from the Congressional Budget Office indicates a $15 minimum wage increase would put 1.4 million Americans out of work while lifting 900,000 people out of poverty. So... This is actually the first time I agree with anything the Fed says. I've been saying that for quite some time that to me, unemployment is not what they're, they're saying. Unemployment to me is much higher than the numbers they push out because you have a lot of people that have given up looking for work. You have a lot of people that are severely underemployed, right? They, they, yes, they're working, but what they're making and the jobs they have are trash like you can't sustain a life with that right so when you add all this like unemployment the, that rate is substantially higher there's a bigger problem in this country now my thing is that more stimulus doesn't do anything yeah forcing the minimum wage to rise 
Here's my thing, and I would love to get your thoughts on it with the minimum wage, because this is the topic that to me is just, I, I keep looking at it, I keep looking at it, and I just don't see any good coming out of it at all. So you're going to force the raise of the minimum wage, which the last raise, I want to say was like in 2009, 2010. And when it rises, it rises like a buck or so, right? Where, yeah. what's the minimum wage now? Eight and eight, a half. Eight fifty, around there. So you're tr you're talking about having massive jumps on minimum wage. Seven twenty five. Seven twenty five right now. So you're talking about having massive jump. I mean, seven twenty five. You're damn near. You're more than doubling the minimum wage. Yeah. To fifteen dollars, right? So you you're talking about having these massive increases. Who is minimum wage for? Minimum wage has always been more for the entry level jobs. Right. Your your jobs that you're starting to get into the workforce. You found a job that uh, it's going to get you, you know, the skills. Maybe you can start moving up. You can start doing some shit. So it's designed for that purpose. It's It was never designed for you to sustain a life that yeah. way. Right. It's entry level jobs. It's something to get a foot in, get experience and start moving up, start doing something else with your life. What's going to happen with forcing the minimum the federal minimum wage to go up that much is that you're going to have these small businesses your especially local places you know local like restaurants little bars and stuff like that that maybe are paying their people minimum wage in more rural america because that's what it is like you're a busboy or you know what i mean or you're like you're not you're in a little place that minimum wage is more than enough for the job that you're doing yeah you're either going to Put the business out of business or they're going to have to start firing people just to keep a few people at those prices because what are you going to do? And then the next thing is like, okay, so you adjust. You raise your prices. All the prices go back up. Yeah. Everything goes up. Also, you adjust it and it's like, it's just going to, the problem isn't paying people. No. It's like the productivity within those people's like, uh, or those classes, like is the problem. So like, yes, you raise the federal wage 15 bucks, everything else is going to adjust. And in a short period of time, you're back to where you were when, before you raised it. Yeah. Now everything price just went up on everything. Gas is going to go up. Food's going to go up. Everything's going to go up. So it, it right there. No, I had a lot of coffee ground in there. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's exactly that. You're going to have all these prices are going to start going up. Everything's going to start going up. And then we go back to the same thing. There wasn't any stimulus during the last great recession, right? There wasn't any stimulus going out to people, monthly checks or none of that crap. Yet everybody powered through. What happens when, and so I wanted to actually hit on a point again. Like last week, I kind of went on a rant about life as an immigrant in this country, right? Yeah. And I'm going to do the same this week. <laughs> but one thing that we have as immigrants is that we don't have any entitlement. You know, because as an immigrant, we're not entitled to any government help at all or of any kind. So we understand that if you want to make something happen in this country, you got to make something happen, yeah. right? You either start your own business, which a lot of immigrants happen to be entrepreneurs, Right. They happen to get creative enough, say, hey, what can, what business can I start? What service can I provide? How can I provide more value so I can get paid so I can make more money? You start getting creative. How can I survive? How can I live? How can I get out? But Americans don't have that. Americans have that. 
and especially now we're creating a level of entitlement well, that how do you get back from this well the dependency of it it's it just like they start pumping money into these things and like yeah. now everyone whines and cries to the government and then now the government steps in and prints more and more and more and more and just gives more money like you can't turn that off yeah like now that they've already done it twice with the stimulus checks and now they're going to do it again with a third one and then all this extra free money and stuff like it's scary that it like nobody has any uh, and because I, I agree with you 100 percent. it's like go work go do something provide value figure it out struggle like you need that pain in order to become resilient to where like you can survive in this world because it's a very mean and nasty place yeah if you like what's that uh quote from um rocky was like it's a very mean and nasty place and it'll beat you down and hold you there unless like you get back up and exactly keep, keep going and it's like and it's that like you just don't let people feel the pain and now you're programming programming them to what we've talked about like to live paycheck to paycheck they say it's a problem it's like well then quit giving them money and bailing them out let them learn a lesson like the kid fell down let him get back up and realize like oh maybe i shouldn't jump off the couch head first yeah it hurts so you need to let them fall well, but they're not letting it happen and then to your point i mean you're having the the entitlement the dependency on all of this is just getting worse and worse you know and you're having the forbearance parents and all this for the mortgages that keep getting pushed further and further down the line they did a poll um of people's confidence level on whether or not they were going to lose their home and they're like no, I don't think, you know, we're going to lose our home, even though they haven't paid, made a mortgage payment in months. Yeah. You know, because the, everybody's already knowing and counting on bailout and help. And somebody's going to come and fix this for them. You yeah. know what I mean? And again, we go back to 6% unemployment, right? Yet, during the Great Recession, we had the same, you know, unemployment rate, yet no stimulus. And people figured it out. Yeah. You understand? People got it done. Well, it's healthy. It, for an economy, it's healthy to let the waste and the bloat to work itself out. Like, you let some of these companies go bankrupt or get bought out by more fiscally responsible companies. But now with, like, all this extra free money and, like, just these threats that, like, these airlines keep coming up with, I'm like, oh, we're going to let everyone off again. It's like, they've been on their payroll, government taxpayer payroll, for over a year. And yeah. now they're saying, oh, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. It's like... So it's like literally just the federal government just employing people to stay home. Like that's it's terrible. So and I think I think it's just that it's like increasing the minimum wage, forcing the increase of the minimum wage. You're gonna put small businesses out of business. You're gonna get oh, rid of small businesses. Sure. They're not gonna be able to take care of that. And last week I said how. 45% of the of the US GDP comes from small businesses and 50% of the employment comes from small businesses. And then you hear Powell talking about the head of the chair talking about how we need help from the private sector, right? To help bring out the economy out. Well, you'll keep hurting the private sector. Oh yeah, you You're, can't shut them down and be like, we need your help, but you have to still stay at home. Like, what do you want me to do? Exactly. You know, restaurants, bar owners and everything, and this federal minimum wage, like, you have said this before, like you're going to decimate small communities by doing that. Like where I grew up, I mean, I was just looking at the minimum wage by state and because states can control their own minimum wages. So like mm -hmm. they can set their own federal minimum, like they're trying to do it federally to raise everyone up at once. But you look at California, their minimum wage in the state is already $13 going to $14 this year. Yeah. But you look at some of these other states like Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, like 
these smaller communities that don't have massive industries that like tech or Texas, like mineral and oil and stuff, yeah. like they would destroy them. And like, they're all still at seven twenty five with the federal minimum wages where it's like, Hey, uh, we could raise it if we wanted to, but if we did that to our communities, it would, they would be destroyed. Like yeah. Kansas only really has a couple big cities inside of it over a hundred thousand people. And like, it's all small town communities. And now you do $15 an hour. Like, you're just going to destroy them and force more and more automation. And and it's exactly that. I mean, you look at this is raising the federal minimum wage is only going to help the big corporations. They're the only ones that can absorb that. Yeah. They're the only ones that have the capital to make the pivots, the changes, everything that they need to do to be able to take that on. McDonald's, all these minimum wage, uh, all these jobs that provide minimum wage employment and everything, they're going to go ahead and it's going to get to a point where there's not going to be a single person working at these places. It's all going to be automated. Yeah. And that, and we all know that that's what McDonald's is working towards, right? They're working towards how can we have it where the burger and the fries, everything can be brought out to you by robots. Yep. And they essentially have the, the the systems and the lines in place to do it. And they do it very well, effectively. You look, you look at these places that uh, they work on very thin margins. And their job is to keep prices as low as possible right. for competition. So fast food is a big one. Like Walmart is another one where it's like you automate so much and you force these things. Like we have to keep our prices low to stay competitive. Right. So they're going to automate. And at a certain point that it's cheaper to automate and invest in the technology to eliminate human error. And like a robot doesn't get sick. A robot can't sue you yet. Today's <laughs> <laughs> and like in ten years, like it's like the robots have feelings now. Uh oh, rights for boy. robots. Like who knows? I identify as a robot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh you're gonna force that stuff and more and more people are gonna start doing that and companies and corporations laying off the problems. Like it was crazy to see that, like, hey, we're gonna do this federal minimum wage, and then the federal government comes out and says, uh, it cost us a lot of jobs if we federally raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks. They're like, it just, yeah. I don't know how they compile these studies, but the fact that the administration that pushed it, that controls this, the government and the studies, this is now saying it's a bad idea. We probably shouldn't do that. Yet they are. And <laughs> they still are because they well, keep saying, they're, they're say, like, uh, you know, it's our responsibility to help uh, these people because they're hurting. We got to take, we got to take people out of poverty. But Here's my thing is, you know, that whole expression, we've all heard it, you know, teach a man a fish, you feed him for the, uh, the whole life, give him a fish, they, you know, they're useless or whatever the saying goes. Um, you really, really butchered that. <laughs> yeah, did I? Yeah. yeah, it's like, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, feed him for life. That sounds much better. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you were going with that. Like, fish is a day's Something food. about giving people fish. I don't like fish. It's, you know, it's giving me stomach pain. But anyway, fishing aside, you, you, can't, you can't force people out of poverty, right? You can't pay people out of poverty. There's a reason these people are in poverty. Either they have mental disabilities and stuff like that, or they have a lack of resources to education, to better job opportunities, to all of these things. It's not because they don't get paid enough, all right? Yeah. Because if you have to take care of a family and your only option is a minimum wage job, there are bigger problems here. It's not the job that's the issue. It's your skill set that's the issue. Yeah, so the, you're, what you, and that goes back to like, the government's a problem for everything. 
but like they give free money to college or not free money, but they give money to go to college. And then the universities take this and they create these liberal arts studies or general studies as a major. It's like, I have a college degree. Like what's in it? general studies. I mean, you just took a lot of just basic education and never really got educated in anything. And then you have these massive amounts of debts. Cause you should be able to go to whatever university you want to go to. And then you go out and it's like, yeah, that gets you nothing real value in the real world. No, it doesn't pay for that. So, and, and, but we go back to, you know, the entitlement, the dependency, you keep creating more and more people that no longer feel like they need to actually work hard for anything because they're going to be taken care of. So is this a serious plan to have socialism, right? To have that control over people. So then that way, the, because the more this keeps going, the more dependent you become on government, the more dependent you become on handouts, on everything, because you don't need to fend for yourself anymore. There, if, if there's yeah. enough of you that just don't want to fend for yourself, we will step in and take care of you. So what is this? That, because again, what's the whole point of Coffee with the Johns, right? We analyze trends. So I look at the trend developing, and I'm not trying to be negative. So everybody listening, like I'm not, and this is not a knock on like, you know, the left, the right. I'm not even talking about, you know, the political sides, you know, because they pander to headline readers. So it's not even that. What I'm going at is the actual policies are being implemented by whoever the hell they're being implemented. To me, it's like, what's the, even if it's not an intentional outcome that you want socialism, it's the only outcome you can have at that point. Yeah. Because... You've made everybody so dependent on you, on the government, on getting bailed out, on getting all this. That's like even restaurants and all this, like everybody, I'm seeing it left and right. Everybody wants a handout. And I'm not saying that, you know, restaurants weren't severely fucked by this whole thing, by all the politics and shutting them down. I get it. But at the same time, everybody now is expecting and looking for handouts. And that is becoming very quickly how life is let me ask you that i get something as or just a theory a trend do you think this has anything to do with us, us pumping this kind of money out making this 330 millions as consumer nation dependent more on the government is the government's way to combat the rising powers of the east of like china and india and those countries over there and they're rising in the power of them lifting the people out of poverty and just by sheer numbers it's where if you make countries more dependent on the u.s dollar and its currency then the u.s remains number one because everyone knows like china is like quickly rising up so is indian stuff yes they have heavy debts and but like at what point because everyone wants to get away and russia wants to get away from the dependency of the u.s dollar yeah. but none of them are big enough to take on the u.s dollar it's where it's like we need to flood the system with so much money so many dollars because the money created here is eventually converted around the world because I mean, oh, we're, the, we're the biggest yeah. country, but it's also done via debt and more dollars around the world to where they're trying to suppress those rising powers. They're saying like, you just can't catch up. Like you're so dependent on us. We have, we are such a rich nation. There's so many dollars flooding around the world. Like you couldn't create another currency because it just wouldn't be able to be accepted. Do you think it has anything to, well, I don't, I don't, so I, maybe I'm not understanding your premise, but I don't see how the U.S. printing more and more money makes them more powerful in a sense, right? Because 
if anything, you keep just devaluing your everything, you know, and if at some point you're going to be devalued against other currencies. Other currencies are going to be more powerful than the dollar where they're going to be able, you know, you're probably going to be able to be a, a Chinese investor, come to the U.S. and buy a lot more real estate buildings, businesses, because the dollar is so damn inflated. And you, the what is it? The, the yuan in China um, can has a, pur a purchasing power that's so much bigger than the U.S. than the dollar. So they can get away. With, you know, they can buy a lot well, more it, shit. It, so. Well, it has it's a stronger maybe a stronger currency, but there's not enough of them to where it's like you have the nouns like this one's worth 10, this one's worth five, but there's 10, there's 20 of these and only five of these towards like, there's just more. Yes. It, it's Yeah. But can, five of these buys you 10 of these. So it's apples to apples. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if they flood more of it, like there's just more, yes, it's less, but there's just a plethora of more dollars floating around in the system. I don't system know. That, I think my issue with socialism. And again, this comes from having lived in Spain, where they have the actual socialistic party there, um, this shit doesn't work. I'm sorry. Like, it just doesn't work. I don't care what, you know, little-ass country you try to look at to use as, an, as, as, a, as a logic for your debate, because whenever they try to use these countries, it's like, yeah, and they have, what, 3 million people versus 360 well, million? Like, can we one, look at the economies of scale here? Uh, the one I heard is, like, the, the, the Netherlands. Everyone's like, we need to mimic the Netherlands. They're so green. They're so innovative. They pay all their people. College is free and all this other stuff. Health, they get one year paid maternity leave and all this other stuff. And they're like, we need to follow their example. They're, they're the ones to be. And then, but you look at it and it just questions like, yeah, but where'd their money come from? It's like, they are the second, they sit on the second largest oil reserves besides Saudi Arabia. They made all their the money. Netherlands? Yeah, the, wow. the, the Netherlands, I think, is what it was. And uh, it's a country of five and a half million people. They do not let immigration happen. Like, you could, you and I couldn't go over there and immigrate oh, to the Netherlands. No. And But they're sitting on, like, a $7 trillion sovereign wealth fund where, like, they can afford to. <laughs> they never had to dip into it. They're saving for the future and all this other stuff. But they're like, oh, but they're so green and innovative and all the green technologies. It's like, where did all that money they're using to create all that stuff come from? It came yeah. from oil and fossil fuels. It's like so. It's like a kind of an oxymoron. Like they say, it's it's like it's just like, like blood money that well, are able to do this. It, stuff. It's not so much an oxymoron. It's just that those countries, you we got to talk about the same thing over and over. Of where's the revenue come from, right? Like that money needs to still to provide all the free shit. The money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So at the time when Spain, uh, Spain was crushing it before, the biggest mistake Spain did was join the EU. When they joined the EU and they converted their uh, peseta to euro, peseta was their current their currency at the time. Pesetas, they they you would have anybody from Europe go to the uh, go to Spain, and twenty dollars will get you a grocery cart full of stuff, full yeah. of alcohol, especially. I mean, over there they drink like fucking fish. It's insane how much alcohol they drink. But anyway, they it would go a long way. So tourism was through the roof. The biggest, the biggest producer of income for Spain was tourism. So they were able to sustain it at the time because it was like, we're freaking, you know, everybody's coming to Spain because it is a beautiful country, yeah. beautiful beaches, everything. So it's like, it's a beautiful country full of tourism. They're coming here, they're spending two dimes and they're having a hell of a time. So it went great. As soon as they converted to the Euro, got a little bit more expensive to travel. So Spain took a little bit of a hit. Then 2008 came, 
tourism went to shit, right? Because the market nobody crashed. Nobody was traveling. People, nobody was traveling. Unemployment was over 50%. Um, it was insane. It was nuts, the level of unemployment. They were, they, they were coming out with rules that, or they have rules over there, that if you have a vacant property and a squatter comes in and they break in, whatever, and they squat in your property, now you cannot legally kick them out. It's their home. Like, you can't kick them out. You can yeah. wait until at some point they leave the house and then you can, like, secure the home, but you can't go in and force them out. So this was happening with a lot of people that were developing uh, buildings and all that because in, in Spain, you don't have... The cities don't go wide. They go vertical. So, like, you have little towns and they're all, like, very concentrated. It's not yeah. out... You know, because the land really sucks for building in a lot of spaces and a lot of areas in Spain. And um, so you have a lot of vertical uh, towns and stuff like that. So all, a lot of these buildings that were left vacant because of the crisis, all of a sudden was full of homeless people that you just couldn't kick out. And the investors, all that, they're like, well, what do we do? Go cry to your mother. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what it is. So when you look at all this, like, it's not set up for any form of innovation. So you stifle innovation, you stifle growth, you stifle what creates the income for the country. So the U.S., yeah. you know, again, 45% of the U.S. GDP comes from small businesses. If you do this, you're going to kill small businesses. You're going to kill the GDP. Now you got to generate income some other way. And to sustain 360 million Americans, plus however many immigrants come into the country every year, how? How are you going to do this? You understand? You got to keep printing more money. Prices will go up. Asset yeah. bubbles are going to form. It's going to create even more problems in the market, in the economy. But the problem is that majority of these politicians, all they're focusing on is the next election. Yep. Pandering to the next election. Pandering to the uneducated voters that all they do is read the headlines. You understand? So it's People like... People that cause these problems in the market with like GameStop and... Yeah, exactly. And all these other ones. And, and it's becoming a game. And that's kind of where my frustration has come in lately. And um, it, it's just something that's like people like, again, I am not, I'm not saying I want poverty. I mean, if you're thinking that you, you're just beyond a moron, but like, I'm not, you know, encouraging. I don't want people starving. I, I'm what I'm saying is that we are targeting the wrong problems. We giving people money is not the solution. You understand? You're not gonna bring them out of poverty by giving them more money and more money and more. It's like we all make fun of those kids that are entitled, right? Saying, "Oh, yeah. well, what do you expect? You know, daddy's gonna come and pay off all their debt." And uh, 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 everybody makes fun of those people. Yeah, you're acting like one of those spoiled brats by asking for all this. You understand? So it's like it's gonna have the same outcome. It's not good for Well, you. I mean, something that I have here, uh, an article I found of and where they're going to get this money and stuff. And they're like, well, we got to raise taxes and things. And some of the places, like, we need to tax the rich. Well, Jeff Bezos, uh, stepping down from Amazon, but now it's Washington is, the article is called, Jeff Bezos would owe $2 billion in state taxes if Washington passes wealth tax. This is part of the effort to reduce inequality, 
and offset the state's lack of income tax, Washington state legislators are proposing a 1% levy on wealth over $1 billion. Lawmakers say the tax would raise about $2.5 billion a year in revenue and would only apply to so-called non-tangible financial assets or financial investments like stock or options. Yet tax experts say the state's wealth tax could be over-reliant on just four mega-billionaires who call Washington home states Bezos, Bezos, Bill Gates, Mackenzie Scott, and Steve Ballmer. And Jared Walczak of the Tax Foundation wrote that 97% of the revenue from the tax would come from those four billionaires. Bezos, currently worth about $200 billion, would owe about $2 billion a year under the new tax new tax gates worth about 135 billion would owe about 1.3 billion while balmer would owe about 870 million my Jesus. thing is like they create that so 97 percent of this revenue this new like talk about feeling like they're you're targeted by your state or anything like we're just going to tax you your wealth and everything like this is something crazy like i hate paying any taxes and now this dude like he's worth so much money that's like has to pay two billion dollars a year but then it's like all of those guys aren't actively running their companies, running their their foundations and right. stuff that they're doing. They're not. They've already built their, had their wealth, and they, they're they're moving on with Bezos. Like, do you think they're just gonna hang out in a state where they have to pay that much money? It's like, uh, no, see, ya, I'm out, like, or just follow foot like Musk and just move to a different state. Well, not not just even necessarily, you know, move. Obviously, moving is definitely a, a play they've all shown that they were willing to do, but it's also these people don't have stupid accountants working for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. they are, you're not going to catch them with, uh, you know, paying all this shit and they're just going to take it. Like they're going to have accountants. They're going to create ways that they're going to be like, all right, well, this is your revenue, right? So this is what they're going to try to tax. So we need to start moving this this way, maybe making this a little bit more passive and all this. Like that's the shit that we go back to the same thing. They're looking for, easy big you know big payday solutions to solve all their problems and it's like none of those things are sustainable it's the same like when somebody goes on a diet to lose weight you know a diet is not a sustainable way to lose weight because yes you might lose weight in two weeks or a month however long the diet is but as soon as the diet is over you're gonna gain that weight right back yeah. what you gotta go is a lifestyle change you got to change your lifestyle. You got to change what you consume on a daily basis. You got to change how you exercise, how you treat your body. You got to do a lifestyle change because that's the only thing that's going to last. And we go back to the same thing with all of these policies. Nobody's looking at a lifestyle change. Everybody's looking at that quick fix. Yep. What's going to get me that, you know, little bikini body for the summer. And then I'm going to be a whale by the winter again. You know what I mean? And it's like, got to insulate for this weather we get here in Texas. Yeah, no shit. So <laughs> it's like, buy a jacket, dude. Yeah. So, uh, well, the whales can't listen to the podcast. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's just, I don't know. You look at all those things and you, you keep trying to tax the rich. The rich are not rich because they're idiots. They know how to manage. They have very smart people working with their money. And guess what? The, those rich people are creating a lot of jobs. They're yeah. creating uh, everybody that shops at Amazon. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, they've created shit that you love. They've yeah. created stuff that you love to use day in and day out. So if you start trying to attack those people and hurt those people, you're going to start hurting that innovation that you like, that you take advantage of 
on your daily life on everything and this is stuff that i i hope that we're coming across in this podcast so a lot of you guys is think beyond right now you know what i mean think about how all of these things are going to affect everything that comes into play as time goes on and that's the stuff that i think we need to all focus on a little more is thinking beyond today and trying to understand like hey yes screw the rich f them who cares well let's think about that now you understand because you screwing the rich and you don't care and they can go to hell that has a trickling effect that's going to affect you and in yeah. your lifestyle but uh moving forward i wanted to cover kind of some smart things that are happening in the real estate space especially in san antonio san antonio i never understood when people call it san antonio it just sounds so dumb and plus it's like oh it's shorter San Antonio, and in, I don't know, things I just never understood about Texas. Um, things that made me go, hmm. Yeah, and I was like, I'm, I'm confused by the things that you're confused by. <laughs> like, they're they're confusing, about. you see? So this article, <laughs> as businesses move from California to Texas, San Antonio casts net to catch fresh talent. So I like this. I, 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 I like this that San Antonio is starting to be smarter about the potential talent that's coming, the the potential upside um, of all these tech jobs and all these things that are moving, are trying to get away from the high taxes, are trying to get away from you know those crazy lifestyles. Um, San Antonio is starting to think a lot smarter, and and I'm really excited about it. So this was uh, let's see, Sean Atwood, Vice President of Business Development specializing in tech and cybersecurity for S-A-E-D-F. Wow. I don't know what that stood for. But anyway, so he says, um, where'd it go? Discusses to pitch to potential San Antonio transplants. <laughs> San Antonio transplants. The interesting thing is that San Antonio is a gift to many of these folks who want to live that urban lifestyle and want to have access to better education. And they want to be able to afford a home and start a family. Uh, they really want to build wealth and have legacy. And that can really happen in San Antonio. And that is a big part of our message here. So one of the examples that he gives is actually one of your favorite is Pabs Brewing Company that moved to san antonio and uh that's those are the makers of uh pbr that carbonated water that people like to drink um that was a big decision in 2020 they are expected to grow their workforce anywhere between 100 to 150 employees working at the headquarters right now in downtown san antonio what's so great about pap's story is that it's not it's not the thing that you see in the headlines they are there were no city incentives there were no taxpayer dollars going to them for them to relocate and they immediately started investing in the community i don't know if all the listeners have heard because this was uh during a podcast about this but they purchased a warehouse off of avenue b over there off of broadway near the pearl and they're building a culture park so it's going to have a BMX park, a skate park, movie theater, art gallery, because they're just trying to be part of the change. That's interesting. 
exactly. So I haven't heard about that at all. So you look at this when we go back to, you know, doing all the taxes and hurting companies or, or, you know, all the stimuli, stimuluses that businesses and all this, they haven't received anything yet. They're doing all these investments and all these things, right? Yeah. They're able to figure it out. So Austin has about 5,500 tech companies from the largest all the way down to the smaller startups. That's generously about 10 times the number of tech companies in San Antonio, maybe more. So we've got a tremendous challenge, but we've also got a tremendous opportunity. We can regionally build alliances with Austin. We can build a metroplex here that's not just about San Antonio versus Austin. This could be a central Texas story that could pay huge dividends for San Antonio. So I thought, you know, this was a very positive article, very uh, well said from this guy, because that's one of the things that we see with uh, the whole Texas, uh, with the whole Austin, San Antonio thing is Austin has gotten ridiculously expensive to live in, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about the, that house, what they outbid, what, 170 grand over ask. Yeah. Um, so it's it's getting ridiculously expensive, and now with more and more companies, especially tech companies, coming to this, uh, coming to the cities where people can work from a distance, they don't have to necessarily go to the office, or maybe they're going to the office once, maybe twice a a, a week, if that. People can afford to live in San Antonio and work in Austin. You know what I mean? And in New York, that's what they do. Where I lived, I lived in the suburbs outside of the city, and there are people that worked in the city and took the train. But and lived in the suburbs, so their their paycheck that in the city wouldn't have gone anywhere. In the suburbs, had them gave them a beautiful home, a nice yard, very nice lifestyle, and it cost them like I don't know three dollars to take the train to the city every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, the problem here is we don't have a train that somebody can take to get to Austin. So right. you have 35. That's really all you have. Um, to where like. Are they ever going to figure something out? Any kind of commuter? I have no idea. But it's but really even still, like filling in, like, where are they going to put it? But even still, okay, we don't have a train here. But still, if all you're having to do is travel once a week or maybe twice a week to Austin, not going to kill you. Yeah. You know what I mean? When the remaining time of the, of the month, you're spending it in San Antonio, that money is going to go a long freaking way. And even the businesses, they're going to enjoy it more because it's like, well, you know, now we don't have to pay such ridiculous wages for you to live in Austin because it's so stupid expensive. Yeah. You know, we can afford to pay you a little less because you live in San Antonio. You know, so for the San Antonio real estate market, this is huge news because this is just keeps going. Plus, you add all the stimulus packages, all the, you know, this this well, that's, child we're, we're tax credit. We're benefiting from it greatly for the fact <laughs> that they're trying to bail out these high cost areas and the people that live there with these massive minimum or minimum wages that they have. And it's like, but on an equal basis, we're benefiting way more because the dollar goes so much further here yeah. than some of these other places. So they have to give billions and billions and billions of dollars to this New York and California, Washington, Oregon, all those states because they are so expensive and we're not. But we get a chunk of that because they have to print so much money out there. So we have the capacity to invest and to bring people and companies that are like, yeah, screw this. I'm out. Cause like I've said like, okay, 
They bail out California. They get the money. They, they save them from this crisis that they're in. It's like, but that doesn't solve the problem. Given another 10 years, they're going to be right back where they were because they didn't fix the problem. Just throwing money is just a Band-Aid over it for a period of time. And then it's just going to become worse again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not a solution by any means. Um, but I, I'm I'm happy that San Antonio is doing this. And But we keep going back to the trends that are developing, right? So you have... The stimulus packages that are being pushed through that, you know, that it's going to be the extra $1,400, the extra um, $400 a week and all the way until like September or some, uh, something like that, I think, all the way until September. Then you're going to have, uh, they're trying to push through this child credit. It seems like the child credit is going to go through. It's just, they don't know if it's going to go through pretty much during this stimulus package or they're going to drop it later. At, you know, I don't know at what point, but so you have all this money. Then you have the the fifteen thousand dollar tax credit to first time home buyers that Biden I think is also part of the stimulus package, so first time home buyers they get those credits, um, and now this article in Newswire that I wanted to talk about was mortgage servicers take steps to support borrowers amid COVID nineteen right so. Uh, as COVID-19 cases continue to rise, borrowers are facing new financial risk. According to Blackgate, um, 2.73 million homeowners were stolen for barons. And even though it was down from the peak in May, a lot of these people, because of the talk of all stimulus and everything that was coming out, they decided to not make any payments in the month of uh, December. So tenants weren't making payments and mortgage uh uh, owners of homeowners weren't making payments, mortgage owners. Well, they are, but they weren't making payments because they were waiting for the stimulus to kick in and they were waiting yeah. for the extensions. And now there's also an extension of for the forbearance package that you, you know, they did the 12 months where it, you needed to file for forbearance by the end of December. Now it's been extended to the end of March. So now you have until the end of March to file for forbearance and it's still going to kick in another year. So, we go back to the same thing. It's like when I, <laughs> when I keep hearing a lot of these people, they're saying, hey, uh, what do you recommend or where can I get the best zip codes for foreclosure marketing? Like, why are you doing foreclosure marketing? Yeah. I don't understand what you're doing. Yeah. There is no foreclosures, even in Texas, even right now. It, nobody, you're not even allowed to foreclose right now. No. So you can't, you can't even foreclose. They keep pushing uh, forbearance and moratoriums out at least until September. Now they extended it all the way to March for you to apply. So those people coming in have, what, 12 months from this March now before they have to do anything after that. So when are foreclosures coming back? You understand? Like, why? Is it, we don't even know you're marketing to foreclosures. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I look at some people that are getting into real estate and I'm like, well, that's just, it's a following some guru or something, some YouTube video saying, oh, it's a low hanging fruit. You got to do that. But they know nothing about economics. They haven't paid attention to the news because you do have those people out there. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, you know, to a, a friend of ours that were part of the mastermind with him, he brought up a good point. He's like, even when the forbearance is over, they're going to try to modify these loans. But unless people have good paying jobs by then, they're not going to qualify yeah. for the modification either because it's like, well, you still can't manage to maintain your home. So you're not even going to qualify to refinance. You don't qualify because you don't make enough money to refinance. You know, maybe your jobs are not paying as well or they're not as stable. Or the, you know, so, I mean, 
You're looking at all these things and I just don't understand why people are marketing to foreclosures. I completely don't get it. But the article continues. Um, we still have 50% of our forbearance plans active with a bulk ending in February, stated uh, Jeff Johnson, blah, blah, blah. Service, uh, servicers must provide tools that empower their call center staff to help homeowners quickly and efficiently, efficiently through the loss mitigation or foreclosure process. Forbearance may be providing a false sense of confidence to lenders and servicers with a majority of servicing portfolios in a low-touch mode. They may have a little to no contact with these vulnerable homeowners over the last several months, and if understaffed, they may not have the manpower to effectively reach out to the borrowers and help them choose the best options. There is no question there's going to be a wave of defaults coming. Jeff Johnson, COO of Computer Share Loan Servicing. So, you know, all these servicers, all these people, they're just not doing anything because even they are like, well, the forbearance, they're going to keep delaying this shit. We don't even have to worry about it. So they're not even trying to reach out to the borrowers. They're not trying to reach out to the homeowners that are not paying and trying to say, hey, can we help you on anything? And even kind of, I think if they were to do that, they would add a little bit more urgency to the homeowners to make them kind of feel like, shit, you know, maybe I should take this a little bit more serious. Maybe I should understand this a little bit better where it's not just kumbaya, you know, and the government's going to take care of me. There seems to be a real issue coming down the line that I'm just possibly not seeing. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I just feel like, you know, regarding mortgages, regarding foreclosures and all this, what the hell is going to shake out of all this? Isn't that the trillion dollar question? It's like, who knows? It's like, and I mean, it's one thing that I say like, oh, we can't keep doing this. This is, this is, it's so different this time. It's like, yeah, but that's what we said last time and the time before that and the time before that and the time before that. Like everything's new and different every single time. Like it, the reason they never occur because they fixed one problem and the new one created. Yeah. So it's what's going to happen. It's, it's the, the bet you have to choose. Like there's winners and losers on both sides of the coin. And you just kind of got to hope you diversified enough to where you're not so in on one area that it, it sinks you. Yeah. So, and then uh, on another article they were talking about, there's a stat of 4.9% of uh homeowners have missed four or more payments um that a lot of people they look at those percentages and they're they're saying you know five percent but you don't understand like you don't need 20 percent to tank an economy you know you don't need a massive percentage to create problems for these lenders you know even just five percent or any of that look in total rental property in total, rental property owners reported a loss of $7.2 billion in revenue from missed payments in the fourth quarter of 2020. In the fourth quarter of 2020, they reported $7.2 billion in lost revenue from uh, rental property owners. So that's just in one quarter. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that, That's a lot. It's a shit ton I mean, of you money. You can't keep doing that forever without creating, I mean, I guess can or seems like it because we're like oh they can't keep doing this forever like well here we are a year later and you're still doing it yeah. um but yeah that, that's, that's a lot can. like who keeps losing this where does this money keep coming from that keeps getting lost to like keep things afloat like, at some point 
something's gotta i don't know yeah it's like i don't know when it's gonna happen what's gonna happen because it just it just keeps going and like well the world's still here and people still are working i don't know well, even then, in the article, in this other article, it says, like, this confidence is perhaps an indication that direct checks and enhanced unemployment benefits, rental assistance, mortgage forbearance programs, and federal eviction moratoriums have so far been effective in keeping people in their homes. So it's that confidence that's like, they can't kick us out. You know what yeah. I mean? We're not going to lose our home. So, and then they go into talking about total missed student loan payments were estimated to be as much as $31.6 billion for the fourth quarter. Well, I saw something like 90% of student loans, people that hold student loans, like 90% of them aren't paying. Even right. though there's no interest, they're like, well, I'm not going to pay because now there's all this talk of, oh, we're going to forgive student debt. So it's like, why would I Everybody's make a payment okay. if you're going to forgive it? So we're like... <laughs> The, the, administ the current administration created all this windfall last year to get Trump out of office. And now everyone's like, well, you said you guys were going to do all this stuff. So what are you going to do? Well, and, and then have here's here's the other crazy part is that the number of student loan borrowers who received unemployment benefits decreased to approximately 7% in December after hitting 8% in September. So. Read that again. Exactly. So. <laughs> Student loan borrowers, student loan okay. borrowers, they have less than 8% are receiving unemployment benefits. So okay. what that says to me is you have less than 8% of people that have student loans are unemployed. Yeah. That's so that means that there's a lot more people employed yeah. and choosing not to make any payments. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we go back to the same thing. Exactly what you just said. The government keeps promising they're going to do something with student loans. So everybody is now on the sidelines waiting. Yeah. And these debts keep getting bigger. And then the missed payments keep getting bigger where the only option, I think, moving forward is going to be to forgive the student loans because it's going to say, hey, people haven't paid in I don't know how many months. We're talking about billions and billions of dollars that what are we going to do? We can't just say, all right, we realize forgiving student loans is actually very stupid. So get back to paying and now you're even bigger debt. Well, because you don't know, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You don't owe all the back payments like a mortgage. Like it doesn't grow. It doesn't it's like you were, your payments will just resume like they were before. But right. It's like, it, it's not like you owe billions and billions of more dollars. It's still the same exact no, amount. No, not more. You owe the same amount of money, but you got to start paying it. Yeah, you just got to start paying, resume, exactly. resuming payments as and they were before. But where I'm going at is that you have people that are not making those payments, and I bet you they're still spending that money like they don't need to ever make those payments because something's going to happen. Oh, they're, oh, they readjusted their budgets and their spending habits. So it, now it's, it's like, what, oh, now you got to kick in this extra $500 well, again. And it's and what like, we've seen in the mortgage and the rental space. There, there are people getting these checks and everything, but they're not using it to pay their mortgage and their rents because yeah. they're like, well, they can't kick me out until September at least. Yeah. So and now you have this huge problem of just like, well, I'll figure we, it out then. Oh, you, you, if there's that many people not paying. It's like that would cause so much repercussion that they have to they have to do something. They have to remodify the loans. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a lot of things that we keep seeing. And then um, is that also in the article said any debt relief will go a long way in helping student loan borrowers make housing payments, according to Senate Majority Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren, who are leading the group 
urging Biden to pass the $50,000 credit. So, I mean, we keep going back to, you know, uh, what we talked about last week of moral hazard, right? Like it's getting to a point where you are no longer responsible for any bad decisions. You are no longer responsible for any bad things that happen to you because if it gets, you know, too uncomfortable, that is going to come in and bail you out. I mean, and plus, let's think about it with student loan debt, with students. Like, they're just starting to hit the workforce. They're still, they're just starting to learn what real life is. And this is what they're learning about life. That there's no repercussions. You have no responsibility to, to take care of the stuff that you got yourself into. I, I don't know. It's the new norm. Who knows? I mean, it, 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 it is a very perplexing question of like, what's going to happen? And then, and then we keep going to, you know, more trends developing in the real estate market. And you have this article. It's still really difficult to get a mortgage, but it's getting easier. So you actually have now, um, I was, I, this was actually a very interesting article because they talked about the mortgage credit availability index rose 2%. So this is the index that's being tracked that shows you kind of like what the, you know, how comfortable lenders are and everything to lending. And let me see in here, I believe. Okay. So yeah. So as you see here, if you're watching uh, on YouTube, you'll see this uh, chart that I'm showing. If you're listening on the podcast, go check it out on YouTube. Um, this was the mortgage index. This is how it was pre-COVID, uh, right? It was trading at 185-ish around there. And then it just nose dives down to the 120. So it, it takes a dive of more than like 30%, right? Now it went up 2%. And with that 2% that's going up, they're saying that that's, in, you know, that's very positive. That 2% is very positive. And they're, they're seeing that now lending requirements are going to get a little bit more flexible because yeah. of 2%. I mean, they need to go at least 50% to even recover to where they were before. And they only went up 2%. And that's already uh, uh, enough for them. Well, I mean, that's something that the article I had last, uh, put last week of like, they're easing lending standards, but it's still like, who is it that they are able to afford to get mortgages? The people that did just fine in the pandemic anyways. Like they had their jobs. They still exactly. work from home. It's like, those are the people that are now positioned to take advantage of the people that got hurt the most. Yeah. And like, oh, we're going to lend to those people. But these other ones, like we're not going to lend because they don't have jobs. They don't have cash. Like can't lend to them. So, well, and what's, uh, what's interesting with this article though is so mortgage credit has still the, it's the tightest it's been in more than six years, but steady loosening up in January revealed lenders are preparing to, for a rebounding economy. Uh, so like I said, it, it was at 185, went down to 124 now, 2%. They consider that to be a huge win. Um, even though it's hovering around the 2014 lows and let's see, the index plunge, uh, from record highs. 2019 uh, improvements were driven by the conventional segment of mortgage markets as lenders added arm loans with lower credit scores and higher LTV requirements. So 
they are getting back into doing arms and all the that good shit that got people into trouble before because you know the, uh, an arm pretty much you're getting a loan at a low interest rate but for it's an adjustable rate mortgage arm stands for exactly yeah, arm adjustable so rate mortgage the question was like it was back in in 2007 and shit what it adjusted to because you could barely a lot of these people could barely afford it at the rates that the arm was at but then when it adjusted everybody was hurting it was a teaser rate so it went from like two percent to nine percent in a year and well now right. they are a lot of the arms that they're creating have max adjustment rates so they can only adjust at a half a percent a year it's like if the mortgage rates higher then they can they just half a percent to buying more time so it doesn't go from two percent to nine percent because that'll make hundreds of dollars of difference in your payments or it easily and adjusts over time yeah but yeah i mean i i think uh you feel like there's going to be this is going to be another start of a another housing bubble where they're going to start getting into that kind of riskier loan because the, here's what I find interesting and you and I have spoken about this in uh in previous coffee with the Johns is that you are given more and more incentives for buyers but we're lacking inventory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you we're lacking being able to build. We're lacking so much sellers are not selling. There's more people refinancing. So all you keep doing, it's like, and it shows time and time again, how they're not willing to risk the housing market. The housing market is something that they are not, they do not want to drop. They don't want the housing market to drop at all. So they keep showing time and time again, that's like anything that we can do to keep the housing market up and running, we will do. Yeah. So the thing is that, okay, you're going to keep the housing market up, but there's no housing for people to buy. And when builders are trying to build, they're hurting. They're really struggling. You know what I mean? And they can't find workers. They can't keep labor costs down. Materials keeps getting expensive. Land is going up because all this money and everything is pushing asset prices higher. So you're pushing, pushing all these things higher. People are refinancing. Holy crap. Like that's why in the short term, I think this is great for real estate because any deals, anything that you get, if you can hold on to them, you're going to make a killing on these properties. Oh, I agree. But now the problem is like, if there's no inventory, like prices can't go up. You need housings to sell in order for prices to right. increase. So like there's the downside of like too low of inventory. And now you think about it, like what about all the brokerages that are dependent on commissions and houses selling, but there's no houses selling. So they can't make money. So brokerages start hurting. Agents start hurting to where like, they just can't make money because they get plenty of buyers nobody's selling and then everyone's scrapping over the what little bit of housing is going towards like it's an unhealthy market because sales volume is dropping because they've consumed all the inventory across the market now like, do so you what's think that going to do a solution for this would be you're a, a builder you develop you do a development of call it 50 60 houses and let's say the price for those houses should be 300 but 300 you're not making money so you're like I'm going to price all these houses at 400 because that's where I need to make money. And there's no inventory in the market. Would it still sell? Well, that's, that's the supply and demand aspect of it. Somebody's got to be able to afford to pay that kind of money. And if that's not there, then you have to bring your prices down to where some that, That's going to be the interesting gamble of seeing like, would banks justify those prices even though the market doesn't justify it? And then the banks are willing to lend on it. And then with all these loosening requirements and everything, like 
people will be able to qualify for them. Like, I don't know. I just, I just wonder like if that's going to be the next play where it's like, look, we just got to push prices higher because that's the only way we're going to make money. We just got to put these houses. Yeah. They're worth three thirty, but we're just going to push them at three eighty. There's no other inventory. What else are you going to buy? You want a house brand new build three eighty. That's what it's going to cost. Yeah. Well, as long as the buyer's there, the qualified buyer's there, then they can do that. But that's the problem. If you go too high and there's no inventory, then it's like, well, nobody can afford it. Yeah. So the prices are, yeah, there's housing. There's plenty of people wanting to buy, but they need to be able to buy at the 250 range, but everything's 300. So it's pricing people out of the market where that will start creating inventory. Prices will level off and then they can eventually start to fall because they have to find a new, the, the norm of where their buyers are. And, and this is why we, we do, you know, coffee with the Johns and everything, because you got to understand these trends that are developing and you got to see like, what does this mean? What does this mean for your investing, where you're investing and everything? And what can I do with this? You know what I mean? Because it's a, it's a very interesting market that we're in. Um, even now, you know, we've been doing a lot of marketing, getting a lot of properties and we're, we're analyzing and it's, it's, it's very interesting. The conversations that we have, because it's like, man, you know, what do you make a decision between what makes sense and then what could make sense, yeah. you know? And then like, where are you in that? So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. But shifting gears, I wanted to touch on, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, governor of Iowa uh, is getting rid of all the pretty much COVID regulations, everything. Like she just said, hey, COVID is over. Like <laughs> it's just done with. So I was reading this article and I, I was like, wow, the balls on this lady. Um, she's going to lift the limit of the mask requirement and everything. And she issued it for this past Sunday at 12 a.m. Strongly encourages Iowans, 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 yeah. <laughs> businesses and organizations to take reasonable public health measures consistent with guidance from the Iowa Department of Public Health. Um, said a spokesperson, but we'll continue to monitor infection rates and make decisions on when and how reopen based on the best scientific guidance and all this. But she is pretty much saying Iowa is open. Like that's it. We're, you know, all restrictions are lifted. Everything is done. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to, you do. She did say like, you know, exercise discretion to what you feel like doing, but like yeah. she's putting everything back what mean, on like, people. What are you talking like? The thing it should have been from the very beginning? Uh, you know, the freedoms of life. Yeah. As odd as they sound. So on that topic, we have, oh man, the notes. I had notes on this, but I guess they didn't feel like saving. Um, uh, uh, kind of going on that topic, we have Governor Abbott. He plans to relax business restrictions soon if COVID-19 numbers continue to drop from record highs. So in Texas, we're having the same thing. Governor Abbott, I mean, we know that he's a huge supporter of um, opening the economy up. He's yeah. been trying to do it for quite some time. Oh, he's one of the, he was the first one. Right. I mean, him in Florida were kind of back neck and neck of like, ah, we're going to open it. We don't care. We're going to. Yeah, exactly. So you, have, um, so you have Abbott now. He's coming out with this. He's saying, you know, it's coming soon. He had a, a discussion with uh, a bunch of business owners and he says, we know there are businesses that need to get back to work. There are employees that have bills to pay. There are jobs that must be open. I was visiting with the people around the table today to expect that things economically will be picking up very rapidly. So 
you know, all the numbers, they, they seem to be dropping. They dropped from 10,000 uh, down to 9,100. Uh, you know, hospitalization rates, all these things are dropping. We want to make sure that the numbers do continue along the same trend. And if they do continue uh, on the same trend, we are already evaluating ways that we can begin to lift restrictions. So, I mean, this is, this is huge news because I'm just curious. They're going to follow all this. We know that numbers are going to go back up right because they're vaccinated the vaccines here numbers aren't going to go back well up. that was the thing is like one of the notes i had on it was um i think like three percent of texas has been vaccinated fully vaccinated yeah right the two shots and all that so like three percent you know it's it's nothing so you look at it and it's like the virus needs to make its way through the system yeah that's the only option that's the only thing like, uh, you know, it has to make its way. Some people are going to get it worse than others. Survival rate is stupid high. Like, I mean, you know, just based on data and actual yeah. stats, not opinions, like they're stupid high. So it's like, just, yeah, it's going to get ugly. But does that mean that because it gets ugly and that's not very popular that we're going to shut down again? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or is this one of those that like, you know, let's just open and we're just going to stay open. Go for it. And I mean, what needs to happen so but we need to start wrapping up because i have a closing today that i need to get squared away all right so with that being said then uh i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode uh we covered a lot uh i would love to see your thoughts in the comment section on on the minimum wage increase what are you for it against it what are your thoughts on that um what are you thinking on investing i mean again real estate i believe they just keep pushing it higher and higher. We see more, more chances that this, you know, this is not coming down anytime soon. No, I mean, I'm very curious. Like we should have our market information for the market dip that we put at the end of the months to uh, really analyze to see where it's at. So I'm kind of yeah. see what the numbers look like for this last month. Yeah. So if you wanted to see the most recent market update, uh, go to sarealestatemarket.com. You'll get the market update, the slides, all the zip codes, every, all the information is going to be there um and just check out the data because i mean that's that's what we look at we look at the data and that's how we make our decisions so with that being said i hope everybody has a very happy valentine's day weekend yes sir so um better get out shopping <laughs> buy your gifts or whatever and yeah keep reaching out to us uh reach out social media email Comment below wherever is comfortable for you and let us know what your questions, concerns, thoughts are, what you would like for us to talk about moving forward. And we'll make sure to keep bringing you the best value, the best information every Friday morning. So with that being said, thank you all for watching and I will catch you all on the next week's episode. What's up podcast. If you are getting value, out of this right now and you're saying damn john th this is some good shit this is some good information and i just ask you just shoot on over to youtube and just find this video and give me a little thumbs up on there it helps me so much you have no idea how much it means to me with all the work and everything that we put into this it, it really helps us grow our channel and grow our, our reach so if you can just if you're finding some value just shoot on over to youtube find an investor's journey find this video and just give it a little thumbs up that means the world thank you